welcome. Joining me today is Gary Zukov. Gary is the author of four consecutive New York Times bestsellers, including the legendary number one New York Times bestselling book, The Seat of the Soul. This book led the way to seeing the alignment of the personality and the soul as the fulfillment of life and captured the imagination of millions. He is also the author of The Dancing Wooly Masters, an overview of the new physics, which plumbed the depths of quantum physics and reality, winning the American Book Award for Science. His books have sold over 6 million copies and are published in 32 languages. Over and over, he challenges us to see the depths of our potential in the world and to act on that awareness. His newest book, Universal Human, is about the new era of human evolution and offers a vision of what a world based on love could be and an invitation to begin bringing such a world into being. So Gary and I talk a little bit about his new book, but predominantly we dive into uh, his spiritual framework and how he sees the world, sees existence, and views consciousness and how uh, individuals can interact and expand their awareness, expand uh, their potential, their influence, their impact on not only themselves and their lives, but the, the greater world around them. So this is certainly a spiritual deep dive with a man that has been in this space for a very long time and has written some incredible books. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation. And without any further delay, please welcome Gary Zuka. All right, Gary, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am well, Connor. Thank Good. you for your invitation to be on your show. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Before we dive into the this, this sort of heart and soul of what we're going to talk about today, I have to ask you the, the question I ask every guest that's been on my show for the last, I guess, five years now, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that has made you who you are today. Well, thinking about a story I heard of Someone who walked into a gallery because he liked to photograph there, and the photographer was present that day, and so he thought he'd try to talk her down in price. So he said, how long did it take you to take that picture? And she looked at him without blinking, and she said, three one-hundredths of a second, 30 years, which is a way of saying, I can't pin something down like that to the moment, because who knows where something begins and where it ends? Where does your life really begin, and where does it end? Where does the universe begin and where does it end? Which is an extension of the same question. But I can say that I've had not a defining moment. I've had many of them. And the transformations that I've experienced have been incremental, some of them bigger than others. Well, let me give you a little bit of my background because it's filled with these little defining moments. Most of them I didn't recognize at the time. Some of them I came to recognize later. I was born in Kansas in a small rural town to lower middle class family, and I, sound, I somehow wound up going to Harvard. After Harvard, I wanted so much to be in the military. Vietnam was raging then, the war, and so was opposition to the war. But I wanted to go, and I had pictures of paratroopers in my bedroom in school. And so I wanted, I really wanted to kill I was so insecure. I so needed admiration. I was so needed to be loved, but I couldn't even think in those terms in those days. So 
I enlisted in the Army. I got an appointment to Officer Candidate School, Infantry, and I went into the Army. And then I wanted very much to go into Special Forces, but there were no positions in the Special... That's a Green Beret. There were no positions in the Special Forces for Second Lieutenants, which I would become. So I chose to go to OCS instead. I got commissioned in the infantry. I went to jump school. And then I got an assignment to the first Special Forces group. Well, I got an assignment to Special Warfare School at Fort Bragg. I went there and got assigned to the first Special Forces group on Okinawa. And from there, I went to Vietnam. So here was another completely miraculous thing. How could a a boy from Kansas, who probably was on a career track to be a 50-year-old lawn boy, wind up going to Harvard. And then how could someone who wants to go into the military to kill wind up going to Vietnam and in, and in combat and not kill anyone? This I consider a major miracle. I'm so grateful for that. When I got out of the army, went into treasure hunting. That is, we were looking for <laughs> sunken galleon in the Florida Keys, I think in 1733. We were looking for the gold it was supposed to have been carrying. I did that for a while, and we didn't find it, but it was a good adventure. And I came out of that without unscathed, but that really wasn't dangerous. But then I wound up wanting to see California, so I drove till I ran into the ocean from Florida. Then I turned right and kept driving until I got to San Francisco, recognized my home, and I lived there for 13 years. In that process... I got invited to a meeting of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory. I had never seen a scientist, so I went because I wanted to see see what they looked like. And I wound up fascinated by a question they were asking themselves. Are we creating the reality that we're experimenting with? And I got so involved, so wonderfully involved, that I went back again and again with their kind permission. I started buying used books bookstores in Berkeley, until I could begin to get a grasp of what it was that was exciting me so much I couldn't articulate it. And I wrote a book as a gift to people who would, like me, are liberal arts majors, no interest in math or science, but want to know about this thing called quantum physics. And the book won the American Book Award for Science. It got a rave review in the New York Times, and I'd never written a book or cared for science. I'm saying all this not to say that I'm special because the remarkable thing is I'm not. So how did all this happen? Somewhere in this process, I began to think that I really can trust the universe. (laughs) There is something, something moving that's wise and compassionate. And the wisdom and the compassion express themselves differently for different people. For other people, it's getting crippled or getting wounded severely in a war. For other people, it's raising a family. But for all, it's wise and it's compassionate. And there's nothing that we can experience that isn't wise and compassionate. These are things I never could have said before because I didn't know them before. And I had. So after the Dancing Wooly Masters, I was expected, I think, by my readers to write a sequel, something like Son of Wooly, another book on cutting-edge science like genetics. But instead, I wrote a book about evolution and the soul and reincarnation, and karma. And it was called The Seed of the Soul. And about 10 years later, I got a call from Oprah Winfrey, whom I really didn't recognize at the time. I was living in Mount Shasta. 
I didn't have a television channel. I didn't know her show. And we started to talk. And I got invited to go to Chicago just to talk with her, not to be on the show, just to do a little thing, five-minute segment. And we really had a connection. And I wound up doing over 30 shows with her over the next year or two, all about the things that I wrote instead of finishing the sequel to The Dancing Wooly Masters. That book was The Seat of the Soul. And I love sharing that. And then I started applying I was learning as I wrote that book. So all of these were, were turning points. But I think in this lifetime, I can say that in addition to meeting Linda Francis, my spiritual partner, who's the perfect partner for me, that one of the major turning points was when I was writing the book about quantum physics. And I made an outline for the book. I made an outline for each chapter, which I threw away as I started to write because my energy would go someplace else. And after six chapters, I realized they fit together perfectly. But I didn't do it. So how did that happen? And that's the first time I realized I wasn't alone. And then I realized it's impossible to co-create alone. Every creation is a co-creation. And I experienced non-physical reality. Now, I'd experienced a broader perception. I'd experienced, anyway... I decided I'm going to live my life the way this book is being written, intelligently, spontaneously, and joyfully. And I've come a little ways down that path from when I was in San Francisco, when I was addicted to sex, angry, and my life was mostly motorcycles and drugs, and then women and drugs and motorcycles again. So I'm different now, and I love sharing. I was given to share, which is how to make transformation from uh, fear to love, which is what I feel, what I know about you, Connor, that you're helping many men explore that same transformation. Like my adopted Sue uncle once told me, he said, Donshka, nephew, the longest journey you're ever going to make is from here. And he pointed to his forehead to here. He pointed to his chest, his heart. It is a long journey. It is a long journey, but it's one that we're all on now. Because what I want to share with your listeners, with our listeners, is that we are in a new territory. That human consciousness itself is shifting, is transforming. And this has never happened before. Human consciousness has evolved over 300,000 years. It's plodded along. It's been tied to physical evolution. Now it's exploding Evolution is happening with startling velocity, breathtaking. Within a few generations, everyone will be touched by this new consciousness. A few generations is faster than an eye blink, faster than a heartbeat from an evolutionary timescale. We are acquiring another sensory system. Our ability to perceive is expanded beyond the five senses. And our understanding of power has changed from the ability to manipulate and control into the alignment of the personality with the soul. And this is where we are now. So hundreds of millions of us are beginning to be aware of this new consciousness. For example, a five-sensory human thinks that he or she is his body and his mind. Multi-sensory human 
which means a human that has more sensory systems than the five senses, knows that he or she has an immortal component to himself or herself, that there's an aspect of herself that existed before she was born and that will continue to exist after she dies. If you've ever experienced anything like that or had a hunch, and I'm not talking about just to you, but to all of our, all of our listeners, that's a multisensory perception. If you've ever looked at your experiences around you and thought, these are not all random. There's, there's meaning in the world. And that meaning helps me, or can help me, to learn about myself. If you've ever had a thought like that, that's multisensory perception. We're in new territory, and everything is changing for us. Our understanding, not only of power, but of relationships, community, gender. We can begin to see why all of our social structures are disintegrating, why they can't be salvaged. So as people are touched by this, sometimes suddenly, sometimes slowly, sometimes with open arms, and sometimes they resist it because it's frightening to them, I like to tell them, you're sane. You're part of a larger fabric of life that's now becoming visible to all of us. This expanded awareness now brings up a fundamental question. What are you going to do with this awareness? And my suggestion is that you use this brief time, this brief span between your birthday and your death day, to align yourself with that immortal aspect of yourself. We can call it a soul. It's the part that longs for harmony and cooperation and sharing and reverence for life. And the only way to do that, and this is where the work comes into the picture, the new perception is a gift from the universe, but the potential of real power, authentic power, has to be created, has to be brought into being. And there's only one way to do it. And by the way, I'd like to give the readers an alert that I and Linda and I give to all of our people that we can speak to in any capacity. I don't believe or ask you, believe that you will, or ask you to take anything that I'm saying is true simply because I'm saying it. And in fact, I suggest that you don't. I suggest that if I say anything that you resonate with, that you try it on for size. Experiment with it in your life. And if it works, experiment some more. And if it doesn't work, throw it away. Don't try to wear a shoe that pinches. And beyond that, I suggest that you do the same thing with everyone. Don't take as true anything that anyone tells you just because they have a television show or they've written a book or they have a microphone or they have a pulpit or a congregation. Try it on for size. Be skeptical, not cynical, but skeptical. Like, uh, can that really be true? I'm going to see for myself because I'm not sure, but I'm going to try it out. That kind of skepticism is good. That's skepticism. I've talked for a, a while now, and I appreciate your generosity in, in inviting me to do that. Do you have any questions or anything that I can go deeper into? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's many threads to sort of tug on in what you laid out and, and to explore. I think a few things came up for me that I was present to in the conversation and the times that we're in are certainly shifting. And I find that to be true in, in many ways. Like later on this month, I'm hosting a four-part series called The Wisdom of the Elders, where I've invited in four men that I, I consider to be 
to hold a certain type of elder elder wisdom to impart that into our community because I think in many ways we've lost Heather and a connection to that type of conversation. I do think that we are experiencing a very significant transition culturally and psychologically, psychoculturally, I guess you could say. You know, I, I remember reading and hearing Jung, Carl Jung talk about how the end of humanity, if and when it would come, would come as a result of, the, of a lack of knowing the psyche a lack of knowing our internal landscape, lack of not being able to connect to the soul. And he wrote extensively about the soul. And I hear you in some ways speaking in similar terms that we are becoming more conscious of our innate wisdom, that our, that our consciousness and our awareness is expanding, and that that is allowing us to interact in different ways with our external environment. I also feel like we're entering into a time of higher levels of, of chaos and entropy in some ways. Maybe as a natural byproduct of what you're saying, that the older structures are starting to break down socially, psychologically, et cetera. And, and that because of that, we are, we're having to interact with ourselves and one another in a very different way. So those are just some of the thoughts that came to mind. But I'm curious if maybe you can speak a little bit as to the cultivation of this connection with our consciousness. And there is there a manner in which you you sort of advocate? So I think for a lot of people, they're trying to find some resemblance of certainty or order in their life right now, as we've gone through you know a tremendous amount of uncertainty and and not knowing. And there's a wild amount of fear in the world. I mean, just I think a crippling amount of fear for many people. And that it's not really like battle, not combating the fear, but learning how to digest that or or sort of turn that into love in some ways, to turn that into something that's that is palpable and, and actionable, I think is relatively important. Maybe if you could speak towards that, that'd be helpful. I think it's more than relatively important. I think it's the important thing. Mm. I think it's fundamental. The only way to create authentic power, which means alignment with your soul, is to find those parts of your personality that are not. In other words, the parts of your personality that are angry, jealous, resentful, vengeful, feel superior and entitled, like I did for years, feel inferior and need to please, which I've also experienced in my life, because the two can flip every Obsession, compulsion, and addiction, these are all common experiences with the commonality is fear. And these, the commonality has certain things that don't vary. To experience internally is painful. And when you act on it, it produces painful and destructive consequences. Each of these things, experiences, currents of energy, however you term, them, you term them, are things, are currents that everyone has. But everyone also has other currents. Call them other parts of the personality. These are parts that you experience as gratitude, appreciation, caring, patience, contentment, all of the universe. And when you go inside and experience these things, they feel good, real good, the kind of good you want more of. And when you act on them, they create constructive 
blissful consequences. Now, how do you, how do you know when one's active and when's, when the other is? Sometimes it's obvious, but usually it's not. So one thing you can do is develop emotional awareness using your body to inform you. So what does somatic emotional awareness look like? It means putting your attention inward to certain areas of your body. For example, your throat area, your chest area, your solar plexus area. And look for physical sensations. Now, I mean physical sensations, not I feel good, I feel bad. Physical sensations stab, sting, churn, burn, throb, ache. These kind of sensations. If you feel those kind of sensations in any of these areas, and there's seven of them in total, you know that fear is active in you. And this is really important information because you know if you act on that, you're going to create destructive consequences. And so creating authentic power is the ability, is developing the ability to distinguish within yourself between love and fear and choose love all the time. No matter what's happening in you, like jealousy, or what's happening outside of you, like another 9-11 event. The only way to be able to do that is to become aware of what's going on in you, and that's emotional awareness. Then you've got to decide what you're going to do, and that means make a choice. Use your free will. Responsible choice is a choice that creates consequences for which you're willing to assume responsibility. The most constructive choice you can make is always the choice of love. But that's where the spiritual rubber meets the spiritual road. Because frightened parts of your personality or fear-based parts of your personality, however you look at it, are magnetic. They're powerfully attractive. They're righteous. They're right. When I was angry, when it's not as though that's done for me, when a frightened part of my personality that's angry is up, It doesn't care what anybody else is thinking. It knows why they're wrong. It knows how to tell them that they're wrong. It does tell them that they're wrong. In other words, it tries to change the world to escape this pain within it. That is the old understanding of power, ability to manipulate and to control. And it's now counterproductive to our evolution. Or put more plainly, it's poison. What used to be our good medicine is now toxic. Yeah, it seems, seems like in many ways we've I'm a pretty firm believer that our external systems and structures and architecture culturally is a byproduct of our internal frameworks, you know, that our our collective unconscious, as Jung would say, creates our, our external environment in, in a lot of ways. I think we can see that in the manifestation of the internet, which in many ways is is a framework and a vehicle of the collective unconscious manifest in our reality, you know, that we now have access to people's thoughts at a whim, you know, people's met pain, unmet emotions, unmet experiences and fears. You can see all of it. And that's something that I think we have not physically evolved to, to experience, but are consciously starting to evolve to, to learn how to interact with. But to just back up to one of the things that you were saying before, I think that in many ways, one of the main pieces that stood out to me about what you're saying is that we almost require the capacity that being asked to expand our willingness to 
choose the direction of love, which comes with it with an immense amount of fear. I mean, just making that choice, you know, can come with an immense amount of fear. Is that is that roughly accurate to what you're saying? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The new consciousness is what you're describing. The old consciousness and the new consciousness overlap in this time period. And we all stand, not all, there are hundreds of millions of us that have been touched by the new consciousness, and there are many more that don't, but they will be within the next few generations. So right now, the old and the new coexist. And we stand, who are experiencing the new consciousness, with one foot in each. So every moment, we must make a choice. What are we going to act with, the old consciousness or the new consciousness? Are we going to challenge fear and not speak in anger, not act in jealousy, not pursue an addiction, whether it's food, drugs, sex, pornography, gambling, shopping? Or are we going to challenge it? Are we going to reach for the healthiest part of our personality that we can reach and that we can access and choose consciously to act from that healthy part while we're experiencing the pain and the magnetic attraction of the frightened part. That's the moment of creating authentic power. And as you do that again and again and again, you begin to move beyond the control of the fear-based parts of your personality. And love begins to enter your awareness Hmm. more and more until your awareness becomes love. There is, as you become multisensory, you begin to experience that the five-sensory perception of an inside and an outside, those distinctions melt. And you begin to see that the love and fear in you are the same love and fear in the world. Not like the love and fear in the world, the same love and fear in the world. And the only place you can change those are in you. If you try to change them in the world, you're pursuing external power. You're trying to change the world so you'll feel better about yourself or more valuable or safe. But when you have the commitment and the courage to look inward and to experience the pain of a frightened part of your personality, and it's painful, it's very painful, and choose in that moment to challenge it not to challenge the world. As we become multisensory, we see something that's, we see things full of wonder, Connor. And I know that you know much of this, or some of it, because so many of us do. When you choose fear, you step into an illusion. The illusion is that domain in which fear or emotional pain is experienced and blamed upon the external world. When you're not in the illusion, you can feel the pain of a frightened part of your personality and realize, really realize, it doesn't have anything to do with what you thought it had to do with, with what the frightened part of your personality thinks it was. It isn't the person who betrayed you. It isn't the person who's just run into your new car. It isn't the person who's said, I don't want to live with you anymore. External world, if you want to describe it, activates these different aspects of yourself, and they generate the pain and the bliss that you feel. So when you create authentic power, you look inward and you change the origin of these experiences instead of trying to change the world. That's what we're doing now. That's what we're doing now if we have the commitment, the courage, and we're aware of multisensory perception.
everything that we have on our website, which is seatofthesoul.com, is, is meant to support you. We just rebuilt that. No, we threw the old one away and built a new one. And it's because we wanted this one to be supportive in every way. I invite you there. You can download the Authentic Power Guidelines that have four sections, commitment, courage, compassion, and conscious communication and actions. They're free. Take a look. There's, there's videos. I don't know when you went to our website. If it's beautiful and attractive, it's the new one. If it's an old brochure site, it's the old one. It was recently, yeah. It was, it was recently. I'm curious, though, because you're... I think one of the things that you're talking about in, in this is... That, and I sort of have this, I don't know, theory, but this sense that as we begin to equip ourselves to better metabolize and digest trauma and pain and fear, we elevate and expand our, our awareness and our consciousness. I think that culturally, we have not done a very effective job of, of being able to deal with trauma and pain and fear. And so do, are those two things connected? Because I know in, in your book, Universal Human, you talk about this concept and idea of becoming an authority in one's life. And I think from what I've seen and working with thousands of men now, what really holds a lot of us back from being an authority in our life is the avoidance of our pain, of our trauma, of our fear, that that, that castrates us in some ways. It cripples us from being able to expand the consciousness, to feel into the body when we are becoming reactive, when we are acting from that pain, that insecurity, that jealousy or rage and so i'm hoping that maybe you can just speak to that a little well what you're saying is beautiful pain and trauma but what we're talking about is the most effective way of metabolizing to use your way of approaching pain and trauma and the way you can metabolize it best in my experience is this to experience it never to repress suppress or deny an emotion but to experience it as fully as you possibly can and this is in terms of your body. Find out what it is you're facing now, because this is what you're challenging. It's that big. It's the dragon breathing fire, to use Joseph Campbell's terms, and challenge it. And as you do, and as you apply your multisensory perception, or as you see through it, you begin to see that this is the universe. This is the Earth School, which is part of a larger universe providing you with exactly the experiences you need to bring your attention to those parts of your personality that are preventing you from giving the gifts you were born to give, that are preventing you from loving. And as you see this, and as you encounter pain, whether it's in your past, and we'll talk about that in a moment, can you reach a place where you say to the world or the person that has activated this in you, thank you. Thank you. Just like everyone's knows, known someone who's been in a catastrophic accident that's crippled an athlete, for example, or has cancer and has come through that with a vibrancy and a love and an awakeness. And they say that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Well, as you create authentic power, you don't have to wait until after the fact. You can say that in the moment, in the moment. Thank you. So we are talking about the same thing, about using the experiences of your life 
using their new expansive awareness, multisensory perception, to see them clearly and to use them. I suggest one thing that is part of multisensory perception is the emergence of two new archetypes that haven't existed before, the new male and the new female. The old female is fulfilled by providing and protecting. The old female is fulfilled by bearing and raising children. Mm-hmm. As we become multisensory, we begin to experience these new archetypes. The new male. Let me start with the new female because it's, it's really easy to see it there. The new female is no longer bound by roles that are traditionally assigned to a female. She no longer has to be a mother, a nanny, a secretary, a midwife. She can do anything she wants. She can fly planes. She can captain countries, corporations, or aircraft. She can be in the infantry now. She can be a mother. She can be a nanny. She's limitless. She's unstoppable. That's the new female. The new male is the counterpart. The new male is aware. The new male is sensitive. The new male is caring. The new male is intuitive. The new male doesn't need to have a partner, like a woman, for example, or another person who is intuitive and emotional and kind and connected and supportive of life, because he is those things himself. So the new male and the new female look for different things when they choose partners. And I'm not talking about just life partners. I'm talking about partners everywhere. Instead, they're looking for someone to take or co-take the difficult and demanding journey of spiritual development. They look for the they look for someone to do that with. And when they find people like that, they enter another new archetype that has never existed before, and that's spiritual partnership. Partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth. Not just a couple's relationship. Relationship can happen even in a biological family. It can happen on a sports team. It can happen at work, in school. And it's wonderful. When you enter a spiritual partnership, fasten your seatbelt because it's going to bring up everything in you and in your partners that they need to look at in order to grow spiritually. I think I think Jung, again, please go back. I love Carl Jung, by the way. I'm sure that's been apparent. He says something along the lines of the fastest racehorse to individuation is marriage. And he, he later elaborated on that to some, because I think in some ways he was talking about was the spiritual psychological evolution of the individual, you know, what is, what's going to help a soul actualize in some ways, what's going to help an individual individuate to their fullest potential. And it's, it's that partnership when intentionally crafted, right? When, when it is for the purpose of spiritual not growth, I don't think that's the right word, but evolution in some ways or expansion. And so would you say are some of the, the not parameters of a spiritual dynamic, but I think, you know, spiritual relationships get talked about a lot. And I think in our culture, it's easy to have those be very sort of like free and, and analogous. And so I'm wondering if you can put some context or framework around a spiritual container and relationship. I can. And I'd like to start by saying, let's expand beyond the concept of culture and expand beyond the context of, let me tell you what a universal human is. 
First of all, I can't very much. I'm not a universal human. There aren't any now. But there are emerging universal humans. Right now, we are in a huge evolutionary transformation. Five sensory and the understanding of power as control and manipulation to multi-sensory and the understanding of power as ability to align the personality with the soul. That's the big transit that we're in, and it's happening fast. It's happening so fast that even while we are in stage two of, of this evolution, you might say, which is actually older than that, we can begin to sense something beyond what we're evolving into. Not that we can see it. Certainly not that we could experience anything like it, like a universal human. But we can sense it in a way. It's part of our experience. Like when you're outside in the, in the wilderness before dawn and the sky is pitch black. But you can feel the dawn coming. There's not a trace of it. Not a trace that you can see. But you feel it. Something big is happening. The dawn is coming. Well, that's our relationship now with the universal human. And that's why I wrote the book. The book is dedicated to emerging universal humans. So the little that I can say or anyone can say, I think now about a universal human is a universal human is authentically powerful. In other words, universal humans emerge from authentically powerful humans. And a universal humanity emerges from an authentically powerful humanity. So in other words, creating authentic power isn't a shortcut to the universal human. It's a requirement. A universal human is beyond culture, beyond religion, beyond nation, beyond ethnic group, beyond gender. A human whose allegiance is to life, capital L, life first, and everything else second. If I were a universal human, I would say, I am a universal human first, and a male second. I am a universal human first, and white second. I am a universal human first, and an American second. I am a universal human first, and a grandfather second. I am a universal human first, and everything else second. The identity of a five-sensory human is personality, his or her personality. The identity of a multi-sensory human, which we are, so many of it's becoming now, is soul. The identity of the universal human is life, as life, life itself. And I share your appreciation of Carl Jung. I haven't read all of his 22 volumes, but I've read quite a few of them. And clearly he was multi-sensory. But the culture in which he lived was not. It was five-sensory. And that's the culture that he addressed and in terms of which he spoke. There's one way in which, as you become multi-sensory, you might begin to see a different way of looking than Carl had when he said the end of humanity comes in the way that you expressed it. Not, not knowing the not knowing the psyche or or that the end of humanity would come and the, the lack as a byproduct lack of knowing the self in some way yes. shape or form yeah well like so many things else that the new consciousness reveals it's turning this upside down too humanity humankind is on this evolutionary path coming to an end 
And it's not as a result of lack of awareness, but of expanded awareness, completely expanded awareness. The universal human, in my experience, is the final step in the evolution of human. Beyond the universal human lies lie new domains of experience and potential that are not expressible or comprehensible to a multisensory human. And what's beyond the universal human is not comprehensible or expressible to a universal human. But that's the path that we're on. And it's not written. Multisensory perception is a gift from the universe. All we need to do is unwrap it and use it. That's what we're talking about now. But to create authentic power, the potential multisensory perception requires work. That is the work. That requires commitment and the courage to feel the pain of frightened parts of your personality and not blame it on anything, not on my culture, my family, my community, my color, not blame it on the people around me, not blame it on climate change, not blame it on the pandemic, but to recognize all of those things that they've activated or triggered in me, painful emotions. That's the universe activating in me an awareness of something that I need to be aware of and move beyond the control of in order to go where I want to go. And where I want to go, whether I express it this way or not, is love. Where we are going as we create authentic power, if we choose, is to move through, be able to move through the earth, school, with an empowered heart, without attachment to the outcome. That's the journey that we're all on. The characteristics of an authentically powerful human are humbleness, clarity, forgiveness, and love. And from the little that I know about you, Connor, and the work that you do, I feel that you're guiding yourself and others in that direction in ways that are congruent with your experiences and therefore come fluidly to you to share. Humbleness comes naturally because a humble person is one who recognizes that everyone's journey through the earth school is as difficult and challenging as his own. It's as labyrinthine as his own. And so a humble person walks in a friendly world. No one is in that world that <laughs> isn't supposed to be there. Yeah, I appreciate that. And thank you for that. And, and I understand what you're saying in many ways that we, we all have our own labyrinth of suffering to make our way through. And that it's <clears throat> that getting caught in looking at somebody else's labyrinth, <laughs> peek, peeking over the fence, as it were, and comparing our maze to theirs is is just a trap, right? It's just to, to get us more lost and more sort of confused within our own within our own journey. It's an experience of fear. I talked about detecting fear in yourself by using your body. Whenever you do experience fear in yourself, you can look at your thoughts. You can recognize it cognitively too. The thoughts will always be comparative, judgmental, cruel. For example, he's so stupid or I'm so stupid. These are all thoughts of fear. Where does all this pain come from? Well, in my experience, I would put it this way. There is the core of human experience, five-sensory human and multi-sensory human, pain that is so deep, so excruciating, that it's 
unbearable. That's the pain of powerlessness. That's the pain of wanting to belong, needing to belong and not belonging. That's the pain of needing to be loved and knowing that you're unlovable. That's the pain of wanting to love and knowing that you can't, you're, un- you're incapable. It's feeling you never want anyone to see yourself inside the way you really are, the way you see yourself, because if they did, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. It's the feeling that you're, you're flawed, you're intrinsically flawed, you're inherently defective. That's the pain of powerlessness. And it generates every cruelty, every fear, every painful experience and creation. When we were five sensory, we attempted to mask the pain of powerlessness by changing the world. We acted on fear. If we were angry, we shouted. If someone left us or we left someone, we'd find someone else. Nations pursue external power. Individuals pursue external power. Collectives pursue external power. As you begin to really look at collectives and communities, you'll find that community is a two-sided coin. On one side is protection and similarity and the refuge that that gives people who are the same. On the other side is fear of anyone who's different. So we begin to look at communities differently. We begin to see there's only one big community, the biggest community. It includes everything, everybody, everything that is, everything that's not. That is the community of the universal human. So I feel that the man that you're working with and yourself, although may look at yourselves differently, but in my heart, you are clearly new males. Your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your goals are in different directions than the old male. I'm different from the Green Beret officer that I was in Vietnam. And I'm attracting energy that's different from the energy that that frightened part of my personality, which controlled so much of me, attracted. And I'm glad about that. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. I think we have a lot more in common than <laughs> our past. Certainly the motorcycles and the women and the drugs and, and the choosing a different path. And I appreciate all that. I think there's some... Can, can I say one more thing? Please. We have something else in common that I really appreciate about you. Men, older men, have been so important in my life. There's three of them are pillars. I didn't recognize them at the time. But... They were strong influences, very strong influences. Maybe there were four of them. But in a lifetime, that's not a whole lot, but they were important. And so I feel that not only are you, young man yourself, playing that role for younger men, but you're also recognizing that because you have this council of four elders that you're bringing together Mm -hmm. to share the energy you know, my, my adopted Sioux uncle told me once, said, uh, Toshka, have you ever noticed in a herd buffalo that the calves are all in the center of the herd where they're the safest? And the old buffaloes move to the outside of the herd where they give themselves, where they give themselves to their brothers, the wolves. And then his eyes looked far away for a minute. And he looked back at me and he said, Toshka, I'm becoming one of those old buffalo now. My life is all for the people. Amen, all the people. Beautiful. I feel like that's a, it's a good place for us to pause. That unfortunately, we're, we're out of time for today, but 
or very least our our time together is coming to a close. And so I know you've got the you've got this book, Universal Human, that's out now that people can go and check out. Some of the things that we've talked about today in our conversation are embedded in that in that in that book. Well, well, Gary, thank you so much for your time today and for your wisdom and just sharing some of your stories and and some of your knowledge that you've acquired over the years. And I appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And for everyone that's out there just listening to this episode, if you enjoy it, if you know that there's people in your life that would enjoy listening to this, don't forget to share this episode with them. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you might be listening to us on. And we'll have the links in the show notes to all of Gary's work course in the book. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. 